just want to give a, a word of explanation so that when you listen to this talk you'll understand what I'm talking about when I'm mentioning uh, hitting the ball out of the park. Uh, as we were sharing what God has been doing in our lives earlier in the service, I uh, brought up the topic of uh, Invictus, which I'd seen recently. It's the story of uh, Nelson Mandela and the South African uh, rugby team in the World Cup uh, in 1996, I think it was, um, when Mandela called the uh, captain of the rugby team into his office and said, uh, what we really need to inspire the nation is to, to win the World Cup. And Mandela was seeing uh, the rugby team and the uh, symbolic of bringing about or helping to be, at least encourage reconciliation in South Africa. The rugby team and the colours of the rugby team represented something very important to the white Afrikaner particularly. The black uh, people wanted to actually change the colours and change the name of the team and had voted to do so. But Mandela insisted that this not be done because he said, as he says in the, in the movie, he said, I know my enemy and this is a profoundly psychological uh, issue. And so he insisted that they keep the colours. And it's, it's, it's a very cool movie about inspiration, about leadership. But the thing that I was, the point I was making was that in the final, uh, the final third of the, the, the movie, they play uh, a very important deciding rugby match at a stadium down in Cape Town, and it's about five minutes from where I lived. And I said to the people who were uh, here today, you know, when, you, when and there was an international game being played at that stadium, you could hear the roar of the crowds from miles around. It just swelled up and flowed out of that stadium and, and spilled over into the surrounding suburbs. And I said, you could tell when people scored, you could tell what was happening in the ebb and flow of the match just by the roars of the crowd as it undulated up and down. And really what I was trying to say was that's maybe what worship should be uh, for those who are, are, are Christian, those who are followers of Jesus when the whole meaning of Christmas was how to respond to what God's love and God's purposes and to give thanks to Him and be able to passionately celebrate who He is so that others would hear the roar from churches because of the passion of the Christians. Anyway, I'm going to t talk a bit more about that later. But uh, I just thought I'd give you that analogy of the stadium full of people uh, cheering and uh, applauding uh, touchdowns as a, as a metaphor for, for worship, enthusiasm, passion for God. From Acts, uh, no, from Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It's the account of the shepherds in the field. from verse 8 of chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you, he is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with, them, with an angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. 
So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Is that on? Father, we bless you and we praise you for the good news, the, the great joy of this time as you revealed yourself in Jesus, a mystery that we're still trying to get hold of. And we pray this morning as we, we just pause after all the festivities and of, after all the, the times we've spent opening gifts, we pray that in these moments we would see more deeply into the gift that you have given us. And we just ask your Holy Spirit to breathe your life and your encouragement into this place right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been talking for the last week or two weeks, this is the second week, about angels appearing and speaking. Angels appearing to ordinary human beings and providing some extraordinary revelations. And we want to do that and think about that to, to just reflect on it's very easy at Christmas to have away in a manger, Jesus asleep in the hay, and then he wakes up and they, you know, we get on with our lives. And Jesus, as we saw in a clip on Christmas morning, is just the sweet little Jesus or a plastic ornament. And we want to be reminded that Christmas actually is extraordinary. It is totally unbelievable. If there's no mystery and no extraordinary in Christmas, then we didn't get the message. Because intellectually, you couldn't work your way to Christmas in a library or a lecture theater. You couldn't work your way to Christmas through life experience. It doesn't make sense. In a world full of suffering, a world full of brokenness, a world full of oppression, a world full of power struggles, whether it's Roman or American or anybody else, it doesn't make sense. And you cannot conclude with any logic that there is a God of love. That's why when people say, how can there be a God with so much suffering around? You say, you can't get there from this place. You can't get to an understanding of a God of love from looking at the world around you. What you see in the world around you is a trash can. What you see around, in the world around you is a prison camp. What you see in the world around you is what the kids did in the, in the sandbox when they were left unsupervised. They ended up with the survival of the fittest and they ended up with multitudes of laws and legal systems trying to keep one's, each other's claws off each other. That's what we live in. You cannot get to there's a God of love by looking around you. Not very easily. Christmas is about a God who entered into that trash can, into the turmoil of the kids not having a clue what life was about, and in the form of a baby saying, there is more to life than you have ever comprehended. And the little meek Jesus away in a manger that we love to see, as we all know, grew up and he started saying things to the guys in the sandbox and they didn't like it because bullies do not like to be told, watch it. And people who live and love possessions don't like to be told, that's not yours. And people who say, this is my life, don't like to be told, 
It's not your life. And so they crucified him. They killed him. Because there's no room in the inn, there's no room in the world for two gods. There's no room in the world for my will and his will. Christmas is radical. Christmas is profound. Christmas, Christmas will turn your life upside down and inside out. But you cannot have Christmas without angels. Because angels represent the revelation of God, the Spirit of God. Angels represent God coming out of the magnificence of all that He is into the tiny, minute little place we call the world and helping us see something we cannot see with natural eyes. And the greatest damage done to Christianity and the greatest problem with Christianity in the world in many, many places is that it's too rational. It's too Western. It's too white. It's too boring. It's not full of surprises. I don't need revelation. And it's dead. And that's not what we're talking about this morning, so praise God. It's not at all what we're talking about. We're talking about a God who meets us in places that Sam gave testimony to. In real life and makes a real difference. Last week we talked about Zechariah and Mary. It was so cool. Mary's this teenage girl engaged and she's told she's going to have a baby and they haven't even had sex. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are 80 years old. They're old. They haven't thought about sex for 30 years. And they got told by an angel, your prayer's been answered. You remember that? And we thought, when did they last ask a prayer, ask God for a baby? Maybe 40 years ago, somebody said. And we, re- we learned last week of how God, with Zechariah and Elizabeth, is faithful long after you gave up on that prayer. And we also learned that God is not a respecter of your circumstances and I've got the wedding arrangements and I've got the bride and I've got the bridegroom and I've got the family all organized and he jumps right in the middle and says, whoops, I'm going to do something different. And she says, so be it. I'm your obedient servant. Cool. Turns our world upside down. That's what Christmas is about. God coming into the natural and causing chaos, but what chaos? What cool chaos. Chaos of meaning and substance and revelation and hope and life and joy and death and crucifixion and suffering. It's all mixed up. You get to taste and sense heaven on earth in Jesus. But you don't get full heaven on earth until you pass on into the next life. So you have all the other stuff mixed up. Christians are those who live extraordinary lives in the midst of all the mixed upness. And that's what the world's hungry for. People who have all kinds of hassles in their lives and they still sing to God and they hear them out of the stadium and they say, what are those two people doing? We're going to learn a song in the next few weeks which we've been using in soaking prayer. Broken people praise his name. Broken people praise his name. That's worship. That's life. 
That's Christmas. It's all wrapped up. But I'm meant to be talking about shepherds. All of this was totally unscripted. So now what? Talking about the shepherds in the field. First century shepherds, they're not like David or Abraham. They're, they're, they're pretty much the scum of the earth. They stink. They, they live outside most of their time. They might live in a cave outside Bethlehem. It's nothing romantic. Believe me, there's nothing romantic. Nobody asks shepherds out for Christmas dinner. Nobody asks shepherds out for anything. Just say, have you got some meat? Send us your sheep. I'd rather have your sheep than you. Thank you. And the shepherds, as, as say Graham Cook would say, it was an ordinary Wednesday. And they were maybe sitting around their campfire. And it was cold, it was winter. And Jerusalem, you know, Bethlehem's not far from Jerusalem, and that's quite high up. And suddenly, all heaven breaks loose. And an angel appears. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. That would be a good prayer to pray. Lord, scare me to death. Lord, I, pr- I pray that in the next six months you scare me to life. Scare me to life. Take my breath away. Cause me to be terrified. You want to pray that prayer? What about praying that prayer as a church? Lord, in the next six months, scare us to death with your presence. Take our cockiness and our, our selfishness right out of the doorway as we just go, oh my God, don't kill me. Wouldn't that be cool? Not really? Get over yourself. Get over yourself. Should we pray that? You want to pray that? Lord, pray that. We pray that you scare us to death. To life. We pray that you bring us to life. We pray that you can increase your presence in us individually and corporately together so that we, we, we tremble. You understand something, don't you, that everything the shepherds got, we have access to now. Much more so. We'll talk about that in a minute. Got to keep on track here. They were terrified. I think it's also part of the prophetic word that the Spirit gives now, that God's speaking in the now about what He's doing. And as always, He says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. That's what Christians are meant to be about, those who come at Christmas time and live throughout the year. Good news of great joy. Do you have good news of great joy? Do you you want some more good news of great joy? Do we need refreshing of great joy? You can't fake great joy. I want more. I'm not good at showing great joy. Ask Cheryl. She gets all upset with me because I'm not good at showing great joy. And then I stand up and speak about great joy. And she says, who is that guy? I mean, I know, right? Who is that guy? It's like Ted. He's got great joy. He's just struggling with me to learn how to do it, right? Yeah, there you go. We have breakfast every second week and talk about great joy. And we have great joy. We're working to help one another express it. So that goes out of the stadium. Everybody says, what's that in John Paul II? Didn't know the school was so boisterous. No, that's Jericho Road. Oh, let's go and see. Angels were singing. 
angel said, today you will find a, a savior born. And I don't think they had a clue what they were talking about. Oh, some baby, Bethlehem. And then the angel starts singing. Glory to God. And I go, whoa, 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 what is this? Have you ever been amongst working class people, really poor people? And you go into Africa and you go into places and, and I mean, they buzz at a very basic level. I remember before I came to, to Canada, I worked in a church. There was a so-called colored church. There was about 600 people. So on Easter, this kind of service, there'd be 600 people there. And Charles was the guy who always greeted everybody at the door. Charles was a short guy, shorter than me. And uh, he would always greet everybody with great enthusiasm. He was a dock worker. He worked down at the naval dockyard. And he had great joy. Why did he have great joy? He used to call me Father. I used to hate that. Please call me John. No, Father, Father. So I gave up. And he said, Father, you know, I used to go down to the dockyard and we would work in the warehouse and we would work in the warehouse and then we would go and get a Johnny Walker's. <laughs> and we'd drink Johnny Walker's. We'd always drink Johnny Walker's and we would get, they would call it bubble us, which means totally slammed. And, we'd, and I'd come home and my wife would say, Charles, where's the money? And uh, I would fall down asleep. I never brought the check home for years. And my wife prayed for me and prayed for me and prayed for me. And God sovereignly came upon that church. And the priest was an alcoholic. And God sovereignly touched his life and he poured the drink down the the, the, the sink and he stood up in that church and repented and five of the leadership that were there when I was there had all been alcoholics and they were totally delivered of it and Charles greeted everybody and he said praise God I was dead without joy other than Johnny Walker and now I'm alive and if Charles was here, he'd be in front row and he'd be jumping up and down. Because when you've been dead and you've been brought alive by the living God, you hit the ball out of the stadium. You worship God because he touched you. Peter was a man who was also an alcoholic. He used to be the janitor at the church on a Wednesday. We had a prayer time and he would play the guitar. Everything would go, you think I'm bad? Listen to Peter play. Peter would play one, two, three, one. Everything in that church got settled down. You'd have loved it, David. I mean, you think this is bad. Every single song you play, you end up in a waltz. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two. doesn't matter. You start off, whatever you start off, you end up in a waltz. Amazing grace, how sweet this. I mean, just everything. But they worshipped. It was amazing. And Peter was an alcoholic. He grew up uh, in the slums of Cape Town. Table Mountain, beautiful setting. He used to go up there, he said, with a brown bag and drink and then fall asleep on the slopes of the mountain. Eventually, the Part 8 system forcibly removed them from that area of Cape Town. It's called District 6. District 9 is a, is a, is a parody on that, the, the movie. And uh, they were moved out to the suburbs. And uh, 
I mean, suburbs, they, were, they had these little houses built, and Peter couldn't afford it, and he and his wife lived in a sand dune around the outskirts of the, the town. And they built these shacks out of corrugated iron, and it's amazing, actually, what they do, how creative it is. And uh, the church they built not very far away, and every, every Sunday morning the bell would ring. And Peter's wife would pray for him, and prayed for him for years and years and years, and he would be drunk most of the time. And one Sunday, his wife had gone off to church. He was lying on his bed, and the bell started ringing. And it was like God saying to him, Peter, it's time. It's mysterious to me. He gets up, and he walks into that church. He gives his life to Jesus, and is totally healed. And Peter's also in the front, worshipping God, talking your head off, chewing gum, saying, if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be dead. And gave his life, I'm going to clean the house of the Lord for the rest of my life. You see, that's what Christmas is about. A God who so loves human beings that he changes them. And he doesn't have to wait until they're alcoholics sitting in a sand dune to touch their lives. In fact, it's easier very often to get the man in the sand dune than it is to get the man in the suit. It's easier to share Jesus in Africa than it is in Vancouver Island. We are of all people to be pitied because we are so poor in spirit. We don't hit the ball out the park very often because we've got too much stuff. And I'm not rebuking anyone. I'm just saying, know it. That's why we need the angels singing to help us. To help us come to greater revelation of the love of Jesus who gave up everything that we might know the Father's love. Not in our heads, Justin, but in our hearts. That's what Christmas is. And those angels came to shepherds in a field. You see in the newspaper, if you look at the newspaper in the BBC this week, uh, Prince William spent a night on the streets to experience what it was like for the homeless because his mother Diana had had a heart for the homeless. And so he did, and kudos to him, he did it. The royal family, the heir in waiting, spent a night on the streets with the homeless. And that is cool. But the Son of God, the Father, creator of the universe, spent his nights, 33 years on the streets with the homeless and was eventually killed on the streets and then rose from the dead and said, this is why I've done it, because you are precious to the Father and he doesn't want you to be homeless anymore. And people who have been homeless and who find a place in the mansion that is theirs on earth as well as in heaven tend to be those who are extraordinarily grateful that somebody cared for them. Good news of great joy is yours for the taking. 
is it boring? Just heard this all before. I hope not. Let's think about the shepherds for one minute. The shepherds were in a field and suddenly everything changed for them. And they went, after they had had this revelation of God's presence, they went and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby and they were lying in the manger where they had seen them and they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You think the shepherds were excited? Why were they excited? I mean, it was exciting to get angels singing glory to God in the highest in your, in, around your sheep. I would think. In fact, it was terrifying, excited, maybe they weren't killed. I was been thinking about the shepherds this week and why they were excited. As we end one decade, we go into another one. What's God saying? What could he say to encourage us? I think... As we heard last week, the one thing, I've got six points about how God, I think, is speaking to us and encouraging us through those shepherds who stink outside Bethlehem and who saw the King of Kings and who went away excited and amazed, hitting the ball out of the park and all the revelation they had was... I mean, what was the revelation those shepherds had? The God we've heard of out there is real. Angels appear to us. That's it. But the first thing we want to be encouraged of, and we see out of Christmas and the shepherds in the field, is God takes the initiative. God is alive. God works. God makes the first move. That's a radical thought in our culture where we think, when I've worked out whether God exists or not, I'll say yes to him and he'll be extraordinarily grateful. No, it's God. The mighty God has taken initiative and stepped into the world and says, Hi. And because he's so kind, he doesn't come in all his might and power. He comes as a baby because he doesn't want to terrify us to death. And so God comes into the world. And what does he say? He says two things. He says, Don't be afraid. He says that to you this morning. I bring you good news of great joy. What does that mean? It means you have someone who's much bigger than you realize, who loves you and who cares for you, and will give you testimonies like Sam and Jamie for the rest of your life if you want it. Even if you have a heart attack tomorrow, it'll be a testimony to my goodness. The mighty God holds you in the palm of his hand, loves you with a passion like nobody else, that's Christmas. That's the good news of great joy. You are loved. And that's what he says. I bring you good news of great joy. And what do the angels sing? Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace to men. Why? On whom his favor rests. The favor of the Lord rests upon you. Not because Graham Cook proclaimed it, but because the angels proclaimed it at the first Christmas. The favor of the Lord rests upon you. He is nice, he is good, he is kind, he is generous, he is rich, he is powerful, he is passionate. He is everything you want. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. 
That's what Christmas is about, the revelation of a God of love. There is no other religion in the world that speaks of God as personal, coming to earth in human form and having favor upon human beings. All this crap about pluralism is, is demonic. Do we get that? It's political correctness, it's not truth. And if you go for political correctness, you'll never have life. You'll never hit the ball out the park because you'll never have a passion like that. You'll be hedging your bets, keeping everybody happy. Anyway, that's another story. So God takes the initiative. God is always taking the initiative. He's taking the initiative with you right now, right at this moment, and saying, I'm here. It's two. He appears to the shepherds. He doesn't appear just to individuals. We have to get hold of this. God is into teams. He's into people gathering together. He's not into private revelations that nobody can test. And you come along and say, God told me. And we all know what it's like. God told me this. And you go, how does he tell you this and he doesn't tell you that? God is always about showing his love to us and building character in us. And character is built in the context of community and revelation comes through that. Of course he'll speak to us individually, but it's always tested in the, in the togetherness of each other. So he reveals himself to those shepherds. And he brings the, the angels and the angels come together and they have a, a revelation together. So in this new decade, thank God for the people around you. Thank God for what he's bringing you into and look forward to the relationships he's going to forge around you to keep you honest and to help you encourage others. We need each other desperately. So he draws people together to know his purpose and will. I think thirdly, revelation, the presence of God, the power of God is known in worship. That's why I think God sent the angels. He said, those guys haven't got a clue who I am, so you go and surround them with worship. Some of us don't take worship seriously. Some of us think worship is just singing. Some of us think it's just music. Some of us just think it's, I don't know, something. Worship is the heartbeat of the Spirit of God. Worship comes into the darkness, proclaims light. If you see worship, it's like the stadium I was talking about. You hear the sound. And in the spirit realm, they hear the sound. And it does something. I don't know what it does, but it does something. You remember a few weeks ago I was talking about uh, Bethsaida. And Jesus went to Bethsaida and there was a man who was blind. And he led him by the hand out of Bethsaida. Why? Because there's so little faith in Bethsaida. Well, if you take a worship group and go and worship in Bethsaida, I bet you something changes. Because worship dogmatically proclaims God is God. Jesus is Lord. In the midst of the darkness, he's still Lord. And I don't know about you, but I need to hear that pretty much all the time. Because if I don't hear it, I get sucked into the suffering, bloodthirsty world. How can there be a God? And I, need, I continually need... The, the revelation that comes with worship to go, but God is still God. And the only reason he isn't cleaning this mess up now is because he loves everybody and he wants to draw as many as possible to himself. Don't worry, I'm not going on for much longer. Worship is incredibly important. If you want to have a great new decade, start saying, God, I want you to scare me to death and I want to learn how to worship you with passion like I've never done before. How about that, New Year? 
Scare me to death and give me passion for you, which means you've got to pay attention to the fourth one. God took the initiative and appeared in a field to shepherds. And he told them some great truths of what is going to happen in Bethlehem, not in their field. Those shepherds could have stayed in that field and said, wasn't that a great experience? God, if you're real, please bring the baby right to us. That's what we're praying, some of us. Lord, I really love you, but if you're real, please make this happen right here. I mean, I love the host of angels thing. I love this music. Not a bad song. A bit emotional for me. But uh, I've got these sheep to care for, so I can't leave them. So please, you understand. I'd like the baby in a manger right here, please. We want God on our terms, revelation on our terms, meaning on our terms, everything on our terms, right? Now you get the revelation in the field, which is God coming to us where we are, and he says, now you respond. Go to Bethlehem and have a look. It's like getting the the whiff of bread, you know, the smell of bread. Well, the smell of bread isn't bread, it's the smell of bread. You follow the smell And then you find the bread and you go, ah, now you eat the bread. It doesn't stop with a smell. The smell is to draw you, to draw you. If I was being real sexy, I'd say it's like the scent of the perfume of a woman, you know. That sort of, if I was a public speaker trying to capture your imagination, the scent of a woman. (laughs) You captured it? Dave woke you up. All right. You know what I mean, right? Got your attention. That's what God is doing. And he came to those shepherds in, in, the, in the field and he says, they, they said, let's go. And they went and they saw. What did they do? They experienced something. They experienced the truth of God and the baby born. And they went away and they had 15 years of teaching on how to share the experience of seeing the baby in a manger because they were unschooled men. They looked after sheep and they needed a lot of uh, education so they could share how they experienced God, right? Of course not. Of course not. These unschooled men like Charles and Peter went along and said, Yo, you know what happened to us? There was this whole bunch of angels and we went to Bethlehem to check it out. And there it was. And you know what? It was there and there was this guy and this girl and this baby. And there was something special about it. I haven't got a clue what this means. But something's different. Changed their lives. What hits me so hard with that is... They didn't have a clue what it all meant. All they knew that was God was real, that angels had sung, they had told them something, they had responded to it, and it had been true. So the part of the revelation that they got that night was that God is real and they are special. And they fed on that probably for the rest of their lives. Or maybe some of them live to see this baby born, but whether they connected the dots, I doubt it. And the revelation we have 
is that God so loved the world that this baby born in Bethlehem was the Savior of the world. They knew what Savior was, but they didn't know what Savior was. He grew up, he healed people, he gave profound expressions of the love of God, breaking into people's lives. He went to the cross and died for sinners that broke open this impersonal barrier in the temple and the religious people and God's up there and I'm down here in the field. And God suddenly walked among us and people said he touched our lives And suddenly God is somebody who I can speak to and know and talk about and share my life. They didn't know any of that. And they still hit the ball out of the park saying, praise God. And we know so much more. Maybe. What about this new year? God, I want you to scare me to death. I want to worship like I've never worshipped before and I want to know the passion in my heart of what you've done for me like I've never known it before so that I can go and tell people of how, what a difference you've made and I don't need to go to one other darn Tuesday night course because I know. And the only reason I go on Tuesday is because I want to meet with my brothers and sisters and I want to, I, I, you know, I want to learn some more anyway. I don't need to know in order to tell though because that's alive in me. How about asking God for that, for this new year? For a passion that's not forced, that bubbles up because you know. That's probably enough. Yeah, I think that's enough. I think there's one more thing. (laughs) You want... Oh man, you've got to get this thing. We've, we've all got to get it. I'm talking to myself. Really, that's all I'm doing this morning. I'm talking to myself. I really want to... What was the first one? Scare me to death. I want to be scared to death some more. I've scared myself to death enough. I'd like God to scare me to life. He did a few times, but I want more of that. I want more passion. And I want to worship better. In season, out of season. I mean, really worship. I don't want any other part of my life to compete with what happens here. I don't want any... If you you photograph me, I want you to be able to go, that's John at worship, because the only place he really goes that crazy, where he expresses himself that much. That's what I want. I don't want you to be able to catch me at the Canucks game and go, whoa, he must be in church. No, that's the Canucks. That's what he does there. Oh... He's the guy who says he doesn't raise his hands. Yeah. Hey, Canucks! Yeah, that's the guy. Oh. Who's his God? You remember Paul stood on Mars Hill and said, No, this known God is worthy of worship. But the final point that I want to finish with is there's mystery in all of this. Where does mystery fit into your relationship with Jesus? Mystery, like you don't get it, you don't understand it. I don't know why I need to pray with God and worship, but it makes a difference. I can give some reasons, but there's mystery. I don't know why when we lay hands on people and we ask Jesus to heal, that he heals, that he does. And how do I allow God to lead me to the the edge of my intellectual and my present experience and lead me further, walking in faith, walking on water, because Jesus is Lord and he can do what I can't do or imagine. How do I let him take me there this year? Instead of always saying, Lord, it's my field, my sheep, I've got a lot of busyness now, so you need to make this work out for me. Or Mary, you know, what's Joseph going to think, what his parents going to think, what are we going to do with the arrangements we've made? 
What's it like this year to start saying, Lord, you are a mystery. But that mystery that I understand is that you love me, that you adore me, that you have a purpose for my life, that you have a purpose for me to serve others, that you've given me your Holy Spirit so that I can have a revelation of the glory of God every single day. And I can be empowered to be an extraordinarily effective person in my brokenness in the world in which you've placed us to live today. Christmas is cool. It's totally supernatural. It's totally beyond the away in the manger. It's all about angels and the unbelievable God coming into the field and the cave and going, Boo! I'm alive! And have I got news for you? Let's sing a song called Freedom and then we're going to pray together. So Lord, as we come before you, we know that We're in various stages of freedom. None of us have arrived. Mm -hmm. But because of Christmas, because of Jesus, his life, death and resurrection, we're not living in Old Testament times where only angels appear to bring good news or only special people are invited. Because of God pouring out his spirit through Jesus, he says everyone can know my presence, my love. Even those of us who get lulled into the same stories and we, go, we grow to a certain level. And today I think he's just saying there's more. There's more refreshing. There's more. And so as you contemplate your life right now and your relationship with God, and just tell him. Don't tell him what to do. Just tell him where you are. And invite him to meet you there. Pretend your life is a field. And just say, Lord, here I am. Because he doesn't want us to conjure up something, to pretend or to strive in the wrong way. He just says, do not be afraid. Let me love you where you are. Let me meet you where you are. And tell him what you want. And I'm not talking now about things so much. Because he knows that. But tell him what you want in relationship to him. Do you want him to scare you to death with his love? That's what it is. It's not fear. Lord, will you, will you meet me in a new way so that I don't have to listen to other people's testimonies like I can have my own? Lord, you know that there are things in my heart that are that have been closed for years. I don't even know how to get out of it. But I just ask you, the one who walked through the walls, to come closer into me and melt me and draw me in to more of your love. Just give him permission to lead you. And you take the following position, not the initiating position. Jesus, what do you want as you are with me this morning. I promise you the first thing he wants is just to embrace you. And if there's any fear in you about the future, about sickness, about relation, any fear at all, just let him embrace you in that fear. And hear him say, I'll be with you. Do not be afraid.
Some of us might be afraid that he's going to upset our little tidy apple carts. And if he appears to us like Mary, or he appears to us, he'll, he'll cause all kinds of discomfort. And he wants to say to you also, don't be afraid. Because the orderliness of your life is a prison if it's constructed by you. And he might say to you, I want you to go to Bethlehem. I want you to go somewhere. I want you to go somewhere so that you can see something more of me. Why don't you tell him that you're willing to go? You don't know what that means. There's mystery in all of this, but there's a, there's a response, there's a journey that you need to make so that he can reveal more of himself and show you that he's truthful. And finally, there's some of us, maybe all of us, where you know God doesn't appear and just say, you have to believe and walk by faith without any ever, ever having experience. And some of us maybe, Lord, give me an experience of you, of your love, of your presence. Show me angels, do whatever, but give me an experience of you that touches my emotions as well as my intellect. For some of us, he'll say, I want to touch your intellect as well as your emotions. But in a, in a, in a, I just want to encourage us this morning in a, in, a, in, a, in a moment of maybe brash abandonment to say, Lord, just as Mary said, whatever, I just want to say, whatever it takes, Father, will you touch me so that when I stand here this time next year, I'm different. And I trust you with my life, I trust you with my marriage, I trust you with my circumstances. And I'd rather entrust myself to your love than to my second guessing. And finally, the the good news of great joy is that when Jesus rose and he sent his spirit, he said, I will send my spirit, the comforter, It was like he said, I will send you an angelic visitation whenever you want it. The power of my spirit, the presence of my spirit, to take the words of my spirit and make them true in your heart and life. So I want you in in 30 seconds to just welcome the Holy Spirit who is in the presence of God, there's mystery, and just thank him that he's there for you right now. He's in your field, he's singing glory to the highest, and he's right around you, he's in you, and he's saying, here I am, I will be part of the answer. In the mystery of the revelation of God's love, I'll be part of the answer being worked out in your life in these next days. So with your breath, just receive the Holy Spirit as the power of Jesus, the presence of Jesus. This is not New Age sort of stuff. This is just gospel. Receive the Spirit that you might be the Christians, be the followers of Jesus, that only the Spirit empowers and enables. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, for you to be released in power in this place, in lives. We pray for healing. If there's any sickness here, if there's anything that's causing pain in your body, I speak in the name of Jesus against sickness and I pray for a release of healing in bodies right now in this place as the kingdom of heaven is here because Jesus is Lord. I pray for the release of experiences of the love of God 
today, tomorrow, in the next week. That like those shepherds, we will come back here saying it's amazing. He's amazing. Glory to God in the highest. And I bear witness to an extraordinary peace. Peace, peace in my own being. Because you are Lord. As you go into the new year, go into the new year with the love of the Father embracing you. No fear of the future, but contentment in the present as the Spirit of God leads you and equips you in the same way that Jesus was able to face everything in his life, including the cross, for the joy that was set before him and the love of the Father that was upon him and the Spirit that was within him. So bless what you're doing, Lord. Bless what you're doing. We thank you so much for appearing to us, for being with us, for caring for us. We thank you for this, this year that has passed, this decade has passed. We lay all of it before you. What is not good, we ask you to redeem. And what is of you, we pray for more. And we go into this new year, we just pray for more of you. Scare us to death. Release us in worship. Give us a new passion. And enable us to speak and share our faith with others and see the power of God at work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.